Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 225 of the EDPH Teaching Podcast with myself and Rosalind. Hi Rosalind, how are you? I'm very, very good. I'm in the heart of Wales, Snowdonia at the minute, so I've got a really nice scenic background today to my view of Snowdon, so it's nice. Oh yeah. nice, are you going hiking in it? No, I, I wish, but I don't think we've got <laughs> we don't we've got a very tight schedule, so we do of refurbing a house. So my boyfriend said absolutely I suggest a dip and he was like, No, he's actually went and bought special lights so that we can work into darkness tonight. <laughs> oh like, my gosh. But you probably really need a dip right now. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll keep you posted, but I don't think no hikes. Very sad. I think that's I think that's valid. Very impressed by his um what's the word I'm looking for? Enthusiasm, workload, work ethic. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> I think we're very bad at deadlines, so we it's self-inflicted. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Maybe I'll take that back. Um, how are you, Anna? I am good, thank you. How are you? I am also good, thank you. I am, as I sort of hinted at before we started chatting, I feel a little bit like I'm walking on a tightrope. You know when you just feel like you're, you've are you got 10 plates in one hand, 10 plates in the other, 10 plates on your head, and you've been walking on this tightrope for a while and you can see the end, but it's like things, little plates are starting to crack and you're like, I'm going to get to the end, I'm not, I'm going to break my neck, it could happen. So, you know, I'm, but I'm doing it with a smile on my face. So I feel like that's great. <laughs> no toxic positivity there. <laughs> I was, this isn't helpful, what I'm going to say. But I was like, you'll need to take the bun off your head if you want to balance the plates on your head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a pathetic little bun too, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, it's sad. It looks kind of like a man bun, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> thanks thanks so much we love the non-hair wash after a week kind of vibe my friend was like some of my friends should oh sorry I've not washed my hair in three days and I was like I've not washed my hair in six days and she's like that's absolutely foul like I didn't realize that was so un- unnatural and weird like, I don't think that's quite normal especially with curly hair you're not allowed to wash it often that's what I cling to mm. so I just hardly really, I washed my hair because of the podcast today because I hadn't washed it since Friday and we we installed, I wasn't allowed to use our shower. We've, we've been washing, I'll send you a video after, in our Lumi ice bath. Oh. <laughs> like, I'll show, like, we've literally been using it at, like, shampoo, conditioner, the hose pipe. And I, like, I don't think this is how other people refurb houses, but this is what is working for us right now. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Fair play. That's dedication to the cause. When I was growing up, we bought a house in the south of France and it was like it, I say it was a house look it was like a barn and so every summer we would go and like our holidays were like painting chairs and doing all these things and I remember one year our whole summer we spent showering with like a a bag of water on a tree and it was like one a brush type of shower you can get from like B&Q and it had like a tiny little nozzle on the end and we would just stand under the tree and shower and as much as it it was France it was still like France is not that hot all of the time so we be like, I don't know, we we're about 14 or whatever, showered under this bag for about six weeks. It's a good time. Personality making. Teaches resilience. <laughs> Absolutely. That all important skill. Um, okay, let's get cracking on the questions. Anna, do you want to go first, Dave? Sure. Um, any tips for rekindling your love for training when this seems to have dwindled a little? Hmm. Well... Hard relate. It's funny, actually. I was just saying yesterday that I've signed up with a coach to do my training for a while because I think for me, I will always weight train because I know how good it is for my health. 
Um, but really that's the extent of it. I just do it because I know that it's good for me and because I my body's able to do it and I and I can do it, right? So great. But I've started to get to the point where I quite enjoy yoga. I quite enjoy running because I just don't run for too long. And like, I kind of miss the days and I used to love training and I used to buzz about going in. And now I very much go to the gym. Everyone knows I do three full body sessions and it's the same sort of stuff over and over again, in and out. It's pretty fresh, but it's fine. And then I see the buzz that my clients get from my training programming and they're like, oh yeah, like I really love it. And even the ones that don't love training anymore, that they maybe move through that and they're on like a three day a week split too. They still really enjoyed like me pushing them. And, that, and then I was like, oh, maybe I need that again for a while. Just someone that's pushing me and making me do something slightly different from what I would just normally do myself. So I've like, this guy is fantastic and he does more like athlete, <laughs> athlete training and more kind of performance stuff, which I have not, haven't really done a lot of. Um, and so I think for me, like mixing it up is helpful. You've obviously, you're working with Anna, so you've got someone to push you. Maybe you could set some goals together in terms of training and not, because it's easy, I think, to go, oh, well, you don't have to always have strength goals. You don't always have to push for something. But actually, sometimes just thinking like, well, maybe some goals would be helpful in that um, or adding a bit of variety in there. And also just accepting that you're not always going to love it. Like, it's absolutely okay not to love it all of the time. Um, a good playlist helps. A good new outfit helps. And I say new outfit, I don't mean like necessarily matching Lycra. It could be a new baggy man's t-shirt from H&M and new shorts. Like it doesn't have to be a vibe, just your vibe. Um, just anything you can add a bit of variety, I think. Mm, yeah, so I obviously know this client and what we've done is just add a little bit of spice to her training sessions because... She is working around injury as well, which is making things even more monotonous than hypertrophy training is <laughs> when you can't do some of the movements that you really enjoy. So just safely added a little bit of spice. Mm. Nice. Ross, question. So this is from one of Denai's clients. Um, are you able to find out why you secret ate when you were a child? I'd never told anyone and only lately I told my mum and she said she knew. I had no idea. I felt embarrassed. I grew up in a household where people would make a comment if they heard a crinkle of a crisp packet from the kitchen and made a comment. I feel like that. I feel like that is that is why. As in, amazing that you've spoken to your mum about it. And amazing that she was so aware to be able to tell you that that happened and, and kind of bring that back for you to remember that and have that self-awareness. But then I'm not quite sure what the question is here. Like you are able to find it because you did find out. And some people don't always have that awareness to find that out because they don't necessarily remember the comments they don't necessarily they might remember the way that they felt at certain times but not everyone remembers specific words and, and conversations right so um I think the fact that you have the relationship with your mum where you can actually have that conversation is amazing yeah okay um what examples or what are examples of things you do to self-soothe when you have an extremely busy week in terms of work socializing etc that's Steph's uh, Steph's client well I think well, I'm I feel like I'm pretty busy at the minute so I am um I just like anything that makes me feel good basically at the minute and I think I think we're still soothing and I, we've got a thread about this in our Facebook group um I think one of my I think it was actually one of my clients sorry asked in the Facebook group and then all the coaches and clients put in different things I say it it can literally be anything that takes from 30 seconds to an hour so it can it's anything that makes you feel safe and makes you feel protected and makes you feel good and for me at the minute that's literally like lying with my legs up against the wall in my room for 10 minutes and I did an Instagram post in that today or for me it's actually a walk with my headphones or a podcast and it's actually a familiar walk because that's like really soothing to me that I know that like what's coming up um so I think what's really important to say is what soothes me is going to be different to what soothes you Anna and what soothes you Amelia and it's really important that you get really curious and explore these but 
take away the expectations of how long it has to be, what it has to look like. Like it might just be you singing to your favorite Taylor Swift song, or it could be like meditating or journaling. Um, it could be watching a familiar rerun of like The Office. That's what I sometimes do as well. Um, yeah. What about you guys? I completely agree with you, Ros. Like my things will be, I have my diffuser on for when I'm working, just because that helps to keep me calm. And time blocking. That's <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Mine went completely blank. But I think for me, it's reminding myself that you can't do it all. There is going to be stuff that doesn't get done. There is stuff that is going to be have to um, you're going to have to compromise on as well. Um, and it's just choosing what's a priority and what needs to be done and letting go of the other stuff. So much that, so much just like the idea of being busy is one of the things that stresses you out more than the actual reality of being busy. And if you start your day saying, oh my gosh, I'm so busy today, I've got so much to do, I don't actually know how I'm going to get it all done. Imagine how that's going to impact your nervous system and just your mood for the rest of the day. Whereas if you start your day saying, oh, I've got a really, like I've got a, a lot on today, but I know that I'll get it done and I'm going to prioritise like a couple of moments in between each meeting just to sit for a second like and just reminding yourself that you'll get it done. The difference that that has on yourself is huge. Um, For me, two things is airplane mode on my phone, even if it's just for five minutes and breathing. For me, breathing is like the one. I take big, big, deep belly breaths in like to the point almost where I feel like I'm going to pop and then breathe out and I love it and it's like for me especially at the moment I'm kind of the same as you Roz I've got quite a lot on and struggling things in my head and it's when usually often when it's like work personal and they kind of all like when they come together both being quite hectic um and I just find just like I constantly have quite a tight feeling in my chest and I'm very aware of it now and so the, the most soothing thing for me is just taking breaths throughout the day maybe it's maybe it's like five minutes of it um or meditation before bed but most of the time it's like before we jumped on this call I did one big deep breath and then centered myself and then we cracked on with the podcast and so I, I think that for me those tiny little moments through the day is infinitely more soothing than I'm debating right now whether I'm going to go to a yoga class later because I know it might be good for me but it's, it's like an hour and then it's walking there and it's all this stuff and that to me right now I'm like I don't know if that's going to soothe me because I've got so much to do that's actually might potentially stress me out but those like little one minute breaths can be extremely soothing and calming and I'll go for it so this client has done a fantastic job in identifying some of the reasons that she is uh, reaching for food and she's asked how to work out your needs because it's unmet needs eating but we're not sure what those needs or are at the moment you say the first half of the question again so the question is how to work out your needs because she's identified that it's unmet needs eating hmm. so i think it's an objective look at this can be quite helpful and what I mean by that is taking yourself out of your head for a minute and looking at, maybe you'll look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you look at, okay, what needs that are potentially theorised to contribute to this feeling of well, self-actualization or contentment or peace. And it might be things like physical needs. And, and I think when we think of physical needs, we think of, okay, well, I live in a house and I've got water and I've got food, my physical needs are being met. But then we move on to things like safety, and you think, well, I'm safe, I'm again, live in a house and things like that. But then do you feel safe in your relationship? Or do you have like potentially abandonment issues or attachment issues or um, in, an inconsistent relationship in your life somewhere that actually is leading you to feel unsafe? Um, or is it patriarchy and men's violence against women that's making you feel unsafe every time you walk home in the dark? Um, and so I think, look, like Google Maslow's hierarchy for, you, sorry, for yourself and have a look at those things and journal on them and say, well, how, where do I feel like this fits for me? And then moving up that hierarchy is things like connection, love, belonging. And then asking yourself, okay, well, do I feel a sense of belonging? Do I feel like a, a sense of connection with myself? Do I know myself? Do I know who I am outside of food, outside of binge eating, outside of 
being a personal trainer outside of whatever my job is, outside of being a mum? Do I know who I am? Do I know what I love? Do I know what my purpose is? Do I know what my passions are? Do I feel connected to other people? Again, maybe it's a romantic relationship. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's being surrounded by people who are, um, you feel like are on your wavelength in certain things uh, and certain values you have, shared values, etc. Do you feel like you can fully be yourself? Because that contributes to our feelings of belonging. And so I think kind of working through those things and then again, still staying objective and saying, okay, well, let's look at different aspects of my life. Let's look at my job. Do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel bored? Do I feel stressed? What do I feel like day to day when I wake up in the morning? Let's look at my romantic situation. Am I in a partnership? How does that feel? Am I single? How does that feel? Um, Am I in more than a partnership? How does that feel? Whatever that is for you. Friendships, just go through and kind of like get a curious mind with it and just... There's nothing, there's no expectation of what's a right way to do any of these things or a wrong way. But I think sometimes we can get in our own heads and, and think there's all like, there's so much stuff that we could unpack. So take a bit of a, like a scientific mind and look at it from the outside, looking in and kind of break it down in, in doses over time like in journaling or however you want to do it. I think that's probably what I would start with at least and then see what comes up when you do that. Okay, Ross, question. So this is Steph's client. How to manage the feeling of restriction? Hmm. I mean, this is tough, right? We're all kind of sitting here thinking because the best way to manage feelings of restriction often is to not restrict. And that's really the answer to feeling restricted. But I think the audience that we're talking to here right matters because if you're somebody on a fat loss journey, there's going to be feelings of restriction. And and in that situation, framing it as a choice, like you always have the choice to eat these foods, you always have a choice to eat more, more food, you always have a choice not to go to the gym or go for a walk, you always have a choice. And you're choosing to have these certain foods, to do this certain movement, to eat in this certain way in order to support your fat loss goals because that's aligned with your values of maybe health or you know whatever reason you have a fat loss goal it's always a choice and and what's amazing is that no one's asking you to do it you're you're choosing to do that for yourself and so if it's a, a restriction from a healthful fat loss point of view then changing the way that you frame it but if you're working on your relationship with food and you're restricting and you don't like the feeling of restriction then the whole point of improving your relationship with food is that you're managing that restriction and actually starting to um, minimize that by thinking about inclusion instead. And even if you're on a fat loss journey, we always say, think about in terms of what can you include in your diet to support your fat loss journey? Lots of fiber, water, protein, um, as opposed to what can I take out, i.e. no carbs or no fat or, you know, whatever obscene food rules have maybe come up for you in the past. Mm, I was thinking as well from a <clears throat> like when you're practicing unconditional permission to eat and obviously people can worry that they're just going to end up only eating those things um and I guess if the feelings of restriction are coming up by maybe practicing unconditional permission to eat by allowing yourself some of that food but that's bringing up feelings of restriction because it's not necessarily as much as you'd want maybe considering well what can I add to it to make it more satisfying or more nourishing to help avoid those feelings of restriction as well so it's more of a, a wholesome uh, snack or meal in that sense yeah I agree with what both of you said it, this has been really topical this week with my clients one fat loss but one about alcohol and she was like I want to restrict alcohol and she was very mindful of she already was like when I say restrict I just get a negative mindset and I was like kind of what you said to me like let's just reframe it let's be like I want to be more mindful of my alcohol consumption or you want to be more mindful of your your diet or your foods or whatever and I think language is so powerful especially with like food and body image so maybe if you're feeling negative towards a intentional restriction just be mindful of the language you use. And I think that can really have a positive impact on that restrictive feeling. 
Oh. Okay, it's me. Just muting myself as usual. I do mute myself for a reason because I like to take notes as we're doing our podcast so that when I write the podcast description, I don't forget anything. I'm not just muting to snack <laughs> or thing or anything weird. Um, okay, Becca's question. Becca's pants question. Is it worth getting up at 6am to fit in an exercise session or is it better to sleep? I have a super long day every day and I can see that for a person without any disorder eating, body image, struggles, that would be fine, but not sure in any other context. Hmm. I think um, it. I'd like to know what time you go to bed at. But I would. We always know like sleep's so important. Like sleep's going to impact your overall mental well-being. It's going to impact your your hunger cues as well the next day. So I think you know if you can still get the right amount of sleep for you, which might vary, but probably like seventy hours. Then if that's the only time you can fit exercise in, and that's a goal for you to be more active or to hit like strength or anything like that then yes however it sounds like maybe you're hesitant that it sounds like maybe it's going to be a sacrifice of one or the other and so in that case it's maybe trying to figure out what works best for you um and also like not forcing yourself to train at 6am because maybe you've like read a book or seen that other people do it and thinking as well I think Amelia you did a post or said today you know but it's still important to consider facet training. Like that's not ideal for like a lot of women, especially if maybe um, if you're with Rebecca, it might be like an HA client. So there's a lot of other considerations as well as just sleep. So if you are going to get up at train at 6 a.m., can you prioritize getting something to eat before that session? And maybe if there's a lot of answers saying no, it's trying to look at where you could prioritize it later on in the day. Completely agree. I totally agree. I think... I think the 6am grind harder, it's usually like more like 5am grind harder type of diet culture messaging is, <laughs> is important to be mindful of for sure um, and to not fall into that. But again, take an objective look at this. How many times a week are you training? If you're training five days a week and you're getting up at 6am to do it and you're sacrificing sleep consistently over time and you're maybe getting six hours sleep a night, then or six hours quality sleep a night then it's probably worthwhile reducing your training and and doing fewer sessions and getting a bit more sleep um but ideally you would start going to bed earlier so that you are getting sufficient sleep so that you can can wake up at 6 a.m and train because one of the important things with sleep quality and sleep hygiene is regular like regularity going to bed roughly at the same time getting up roughly at the same time even on weekends and so what we don't want is huge variations in that day to day so really what we want to work on is like first of all working on your sleep quality and your sleep hygiene so you can get enough sleep and get up at 6am and then like you said we're all thinking about food around that and um, etc is super super important and again like most of these things look at your intention are you getting up at 6am because you feel like you have to you have to go to the gym that day or is it because you actually want to because exercise is really important for a healthy relationship with your body for general aging and health exercise is important so I'm never going to say get eight hours sleep and just don't exercise at all because actually that's not optimal either so look at your intention and think okay I'm waking up thinking oh it's my day of exercise today I'm excited to get in the gym I've got three sessions this week and I'm, I'm buzzing for it and I'm choosing to do that or is it oh I've like I've got this session planned out I have to do it otherwise I'll feel stressed because I because I'm not doing it so really think about the stories in your head behind it and then you can come up with the answer for that for yourself. Anna. Oh, is it me? I didn't realize I'm so behind. Any exercises for pelvic floor? Uh, this client is suffering slight bladder incontinence at times. I feel like you're probably best with this one, Anna. Um, there's, yeah, yeah, there's so much you can do and the beauty of pelvic floor exercises is that you can do it anywhere anytime and nobody even knows um and I think to get into it um my when I was doing my Pilates teacher training she said like to help people engage with it is to like do it when you're waiting for the kettle to boil or do it when you're brushing your teeth and it's that feeling you know when you're like stopping your your pee mid-flow 
you want to be practicing that like just holding it for a second and then letting it go um but equally like if you think core engagement that's going to activate the pelvic floor and you'll be doing that in your training and hopefully your core exercises as well and I always think with kind of engaging those deep abdominals including the pelvic floor I always think um there's lots of different ways that I'll cue it but the best one for me is like imagining you're um doing up a belt on the tightest hole and then you just let it out a notch so you want it at kind of like 80% engagement so you're not holding your breath all the way in and pulling everything in all the time it's just kind of switched on a bit like a bit like when you think about like engaging any other muscle mm. have any of you seen any of those tiktoks or reels that are, are like kegel reminders and they play a song and they and you do your kegel reminders mm. it's a maybe they're targeted at me for a reason who knows um but it's they're amazing they it's just someone on i mean i've seen them on tiktok and it's just someone saying they'll have a music on and say okay daily reminders do your kegels let's do this and they go slow and then count and then they're like okay fast and so you're going and, 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 and it's amazing and it's 90 seconds and then it's done and then you're like i've done my kegels for the day um and anytime anyone talks about it i feel like that's when i do it when like so people listen to this podcast if they're doing them right now that's what i would be doing um i mean i wouldn't be doing it today because moon cut vibes and you don't want to be doing kegels with a moon cup in i don't feel like that's a good combination um but in general so like if you google like tiktok kegel exercises i guarantee you'll just get a list of them and then like say to you like habit stack it with something else that you said Anna. if you're making your morning coffee waiting for the kettle to boil um, whatever it is when you're brushing your teeth and then just do it in those moments and we should all be doing kegels and i say this as someone who does not do them very often but it's not just about you know people who are planning to conceive or pregnant or had a baby if we should all be doing them i definitely don't do them enough also i would recommend i think i put it in our coaching group the vagina whisperer she's fantastic <laughs> she so she's a pelvic floor physio and does a lot of like um pre and postnatal stuff but just her advice in general is great and she often dresses up in a vulva which makes it up even more so but <laughs> <laughs> My friend got a, um, her and her boyfriend went to the park the other day. She was like, oh, have you seen, like, I can't remember what it's called. And it's like, it, uh, did you see a picture of it anyway? And I said, no, I've not seen this. So they showed me a picture of my best friend sitting in what looked like a, just a giant vulva. I was like, what the hell is that? They're like, oh, it's just this, it's this tiny thing that you take to the beach into the park. And it's like a giant blow up seat. But the way you fill it up with air is you just run with it and it fills up and then that's it. <laughs> And it just looks like a giant vulva. I'm like, you look pretty at home in there. <laughs> I saw them. I know what you mean, Amelia. Genius. Just followed the vagina whisperer and you did not. Oh, it's blurred. Oh, you can't see it because my screen's blurred. But yes, she is dressed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I need to get on that. Uh, okay, Ross, question. Okay. Oh, um, so this is George's client. Um, I feel like this will be a good one for you, Amelia. Is there any specific advice you'd give for someone undertaking a frozen embryo transfer? I'm already reducing alcohol and caffeine, prioritizing protein and veggies, but I'm by no, but I'm by no means doing so 100% of the time. I exercise regularly. I have lean PCOS, so want to make sure I'm doing as much as I can. Good question. The thing is, with an embryo transfer, you want to be kind of as quote-unquote healthy as you can, but like a lot of the recommendations are around optimising your egg quality as opposed to optimising the transfer situation. And, and, and so I think the key is really managing your stress around that because what will probably happen when you, like, I don't know how it works with embryo transfer, how medicated it is in different situations and stuff, but the key thing really is going to be managing your stress if it were me, if I were going to undertaking it myself, I wouldn't be drinking alcohol at all, to be honest. And I would be having a very maximum of 100 milligrams of caffeine a day. To be honest, again, I probably wouldn't be drinking caffeine really at all. And there's no reason for having no caffeine at all, by the way. Um, research, and you know this, Rod, like research suggests, you know, 100 milligrams a day is fine. Um, but I just think the expense of IVF 
and the emotional investment and the physical investment. I'm very much of the mentality of, well, what's it? like, let's try and just throw the kitchen sink at it as long as it's not adding the extra stress. And it, to, to be totally fair, when I went through the, my stuff in the past, I got so stressed that my period, I missed my period and I couldn't do what I wanted to do anyway. So that doesn't mean that that's definitely not the right way to do it either. So it's about thinking, well, what's the optimum way for me to do it? What's like, is reducing alcohol completely and taking it out, is that going to cause you a lot of stress? Um, and and in which case that's something potentially to look at but also okay fine like have a glass of wine at the weekend with your partner or your friends or whatever that looks like um but do you need to have a glass of wine maybe on a Tuesday night after work maybe not again I, I don't know everyone's different um but other than that I, I I wouldn't I would be taking supplements like you are pregnant already so taking a prenatal um taking um an iodine supplement which people often forget about so just be mindful if that's in your prenatal already it's fine but the recommended dose 200 micrograms and um the important thing about that is that that's most important in the first trimester when people don't often really pregnant what's amazing when you're doing an embryo transfer is that you know that you that you potentially could be pregnant so you can do all of this stuff now so taking a prenatal, taking iodine, and hopefully your prenatal will have folic acid in it. But again, obviously, just check that. Um, and then really just making sure that you're getting enough sleep, good quality sleep, that you're getting enough rest, that you're not. I wouldn't be doing any high, like high intensity interval training. Um, I wouldn't be training to complete failure, but still moving your body, um, still doing exercise. But I wouldn't be pushing anything to you know very high intensities. Um. And that's it. Don't know if any of you would add anything to that. No, I agree. It this is more a- anecdotally. Is that how you say the word anecdotally? But um, from clients I've worked with and friends and family, I've reported like caffeine sensitivity. You know, like when they're. I think it's a mixture of maybe like that. We know caffeine makes us more anxious. It makes us more alert. And I maybe agree with you, Amelia. Like, okay, there's no evidence, but you know, if you can go without the caffeine, go without the alcohol and you want to increase all the chances, then that probably is going to be, you know, it's going to reduce your anxiety from a physiological response in the body without the caffeine and alcohol. So um, I'd maybe like try pursuing that if you feel comfortable. That's such a good point because one of the most stressful things in life can often be IVF and this process. And you're so right if you're drinking caffeine, it can may well exacerbate that okay uh question. how to cope with feeling like you have gone backwards after putting so much work into improving your relationship with food and your body image what did you what did you say to me on saturday that they'll be like framing it as slips and not slides oh yeah and i like that a lot and i think reminding yourself that like these things are going to happen from time to time but it's never back to square one because of all the work that you've done in between um so it's noticing what's going on acknowledging has anything slipped have there been anything that like have there been any triggers that might have caused this and then implementing what you know because you have already done a lot of the work what's going to support you through it and obviously working mm. with Georgia, you'll be able to to talk things out with her and make sure that you've got some some plans in place to to make you feel more confident and comfortable moving forward again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, everything you said, Anna, like it's probably not square one you've gone back to, but it'll feel like that. And I think sometimes a lot of clients I work with, they forget where they started on the journey and maybe they're comparing to like last week or two weeks ago, but actually if you compared to me when you first start with Georgia there's probably far more progress there than what you see and I think it just comes back to when we work on a relationship with food and body image the quantitative data is not there so unlike you know we're not measuring like on the scales necessarily all the time we're measuring calories and sometimes it's harder to see the progress but actually it's these I call them like little light bulb moments often my clients have they're like oh the other day someone said this and it didn't trigger this response I'm like look how far you've come so um probably going back to being self-critical as well so maybe practicing more self-compassion and leaning into that again and looking at you know 
where you have come and you're going to keep going to other places yeah I agree I think sometimes sometimes it's helpful to look at something like scale weight not your scale weight but the idea of everyone in the the health and fitness space at some point in their life has probably seen that drawing of what you think fat loss looks like and it's like this straight line down in your weight what fat loss actually looks like and it's a squiggly line up and down or progress what you think progress looks like straight line up and what progress actually looks like like a messy line all the way up and recovery with your relationship with food looks is exactly the same and so when you have this setback what you feel like is that you're back at square one but what you're actually like is like a dip compared to where you were at before but square one is still way down below but you you catastrophize it sometimes and think oh well I'm back all the way back there but you're not and I think normalizing this as no matter what you're working on in your life there's going to be times where it feels easier and sometimes it feels times like it feels like you just keep improving and improving and improving and sometimes it feels like oh my gosh like if you keep slipping backwards and backwards it's like one step forward two steps back consistently for a while longer than you want that is so normal and I think just normalizing it and saying okay well this is actually part of the journey of moving forwards and so you go, okay, okay, this is just this part. And you can, when you normalize it and accept it, you do the things like practice self-compassion and you do it you say, well, the way out of this is to keep doing all the things that I know really support me. So I'm going to do all of those things. And then when you get out of it, you'll be like, gosh, I'm so glad I kept doing all those things because now I'm still progressing forwards. Um, and I mean, you're still progressing because you're getting through this point in your progress journey. It's still technically progress because you're getting through it, right? So I think that that's really important. And I did a post on Instagram today actually about it. If this happens like early on in your journey, if maybe you've done two months and you stopped maybe binge eating and you felt like you were in a good place because you just started and you started doing all these habits and it's really great. And now you've hit this point where you're like, now it feels like it's worse than it was before. Like it feels really, really hard. And often that's because you've started to uncover some feelings that maybe you hadn't let yourself feel for a long time alongside giving yourself unconditional permission to eat. And so now you've just got like this kind of tornado of feeling your feelings having that old strategy of using food to suppress your feelings and having this food abundance that you've never had before so for a while it can feel like this is actually harder but again it's quite a normal point to go through to move through that and then get to the other point and that's that slip and slide situation was um so that's how we always frame things it's, it's not a lap it's not a relapse it's just a slip and that um terminology we take from like a recovery from addiction i think it's in 12 steps actually but it's this idea of when you frame things as a relapse you're much more likely to be self-critical you're much less likely to move through it but when you frame it as a slip you can learn from it you can reframe it and you can think okay well how is this an opportunity for growth and then i was listening to this book so everyone who came to the event knows i was talking about this book at the weekend and the book is, is by jeanette mccurdy and it's called i'm glad my mom died and she's an American former actress. And I didn't realize it was an autobiography, but she was. She talks about her journey through child stardom and quite an abusive relationship with her mum, who has now passed away, and her relationship to food and her body and her eating disorders. And she, it was near, near the end, she talks about her relationship and therapy with, with the food stuff. And of course, everything she was saying, I was like, you know, like, of course we know that. But she was talking about, you know, my therapist said it's a slip, not a slide and all these things. And I thought it's good that that's general consensus. Um, but I was talking about the book because I think if anybody is interested, it's a really, it's a nice audio book to read. Just, if you're in your recovery journey, be mindful. There is a lot of conversation around these things. So it might not be the right time for you to listen to it, but it is a good book at some point if, if you're interested in it. I know. Sorry, I'm not on the ball today. It's not like you. <laughs> no, I'm just like, yeah, that was good. Good. <laughs> um, okay, I'm struggling. Oh, just lost my questions. I'm struggling with reframing food when eating out. I end up overthinking the calories or I'll just not eat or try to choose a lower calorie option. Or if I do choose what I actually want, I feel super guilty and feel like I can't eat for the rest of the day or end up binging after. What tips do you have for reframing or, or eating out in general, I suppose? So I would maybe like, even before you even go out for the meal, start off with your day. Like, can you ensure you're a bit regulated before you go out? So 
getting into if you've got time that is as well but maybe get into a place where you can do like Amelia said earlier some box breathing and um, maybe a little bit of mindfulness just before you go out so that whenever you're going into the restaurant or the cafe or whatever you're going in maybe from a place where you're feeling slightly more relaxed slightly more at ease and maybe a bit more present and mindful so you're not necessarily thinking like straight away of calories but you're just thinking of the experience first of all I know not everyone's got time for that and then just trying to see that meal out as one of your other meals in the day just like your breakfast lunch and dinner at home only this is maybe someone else prepared it for you which I know might bring some anxiety sometimes but the more you do go out especially when you work with Anna I always think it's brilliant when clients are eating out when they're working with us because this is part of life so it is and if you can do this work and work through this when you're working with Anna that's brilliant because you're going to get the tools and the confidence to keep doing this um but maybe yeah looking through the menu and making the choices based on asking that question like what is going to nourish me so like what's got protein in it what's got fiber in it what's got healthy fats in it and not denying yourself the taste and the texture so if you do want something that maybe is slightly higher calorie making peace with that and knowing that you can still have that as part of a balanced meal throughout your day and maybe it just might impact your dinner that night might be something a bit lower in fat um to get that balance right um yeah but I feel like I've got more to add but my, my brain's so foggy <laughs> it's the calm down um I totally agree I think I'm trying to find my list um, of kind of these. I did a post recently about like the 10 potential contributors to health that we forget about when we're working on like diet fat loss stuff, right? Um, do, 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 let me just find it. I feel like it shouldn't actually be this far away. Oh yes, here we go. <laughs> Found it in the end. Okay, so if we look at these 10 um, factors of health, these are just factors of health that came, I read them on, they came from, it's like a Stanford model, Stanford University model. And they very much align with the concept that we talk about a lot, like flourishing health. Like and that health is a much more holistic model and it kind of aligns with that, which is one of the reasons I probably like it. Um, but these 10 factors are social connectedness, lifestyle behaviours, stress and resilience, emotional health, physical health, meaning and purpose, sense of self, finances, spirituality or religion, curiosity exploration and creativity so I wonder if you can look at meals out and this is going a little bit deeper into the more thoughts behind it and intentions behind it but can you think about how that meal is supporting your health because it might be a burger and fries and some dessert and you might think this is a really unhealthy food for example which it's not because food is not either good or bad and also we don't just eat one meal in isolation and then our body sees this quote-unquote high fat ultra processed food and thinks oh my gosh this is unhealthy that's not how it works but we're so used to thinking of food like that so but going out for a meal maybe it's a date right and you're going out for a meal and you have pizza on a date right um how is that supporting your social connectedness how is that supporting your lifestyle behaviors how is that supporting your emotional health like the like that potentially having that meal and yes you might get some of the same um benefits from having a salad in that situation but the stress that comes with the restriction of that potentially um, or the preoccupation that comes with that, that's actually detaching and detracting from that moment of social connectedness um, and potentially adding stress to that. And on the flip side of that, pushing yourself to have food that feels slightly outside of your comfort zone is building your resilience. Resilience, as I said, is one of those kind of key markers of health that we're looking at and it seems to be something that we're talking about quite a lot more. I, I definitely am because I've been thinking about resilience a lot. But building your resilience and your relationship with food is hugely, hugely important and a key determinant of your recovery and your relationship with food and your body image. So actually having these meals out is one, a great opportunity to be more mindful and practice your mindful eating skills, but two, contribute into your health in so many ways that you're not even thinking about. So it help, I think framing it that way can sometimes help move this kind of black and white, this food is good, this food is bad, because where we know that that's not the case I think the only thing I would add is trying to kind of um 
acknowledge what it is you're feeling and why you're feeling it so you can create some space so if you can go right I'm feeling anxious because um this menu's got a lot more calories than I'd normally have in a meal okay well that's a food rule and this is what I'm working on and so this decision would actually bring me closer to what I want to be um rather than sitting in that like anxiety and unease um in general just to create a bit more space between it and the other I think something that we've not none of us have mentioned but practically if you think that you're going to overeat at these meals um because you're going to eat a food that you think is a quote-unquote bad food make sure you're not going super hungry so you're not restricted in the day so that when you do go you're kind of like a comfortable five on the hunger scale or whatever feels right for you so you can be mindful and you're not going in because often when we find that we overeat after a meal out it's because one we feel guilty we feel like we shouldn't have had that too food but two we probably were really quite hungry when we went so we weren't able to be mindful and then we feel guilt for that and we keep on overeating so making sure that you're managing your hunger level um is also super super important who is it, is it ross ross yeah i'm on the ball this okay. time <laughs> um okay this is Steph's client so I would love to know sorry I skipped one but I'll go this one Steph's client I'd love to know your guys thoughts on the possibility that not all food cravings are emotionally rooted and if you agree what other reasons could there be for food cravings there is a physiological driver for certain foods so food time fat sugar salt um protein and what's the last word it's like umami or something like that mm. or is it glutamate it's anyway it's a certain taste anyway and and they trigger what we call uh, like they trigger like a reward response in our brain and I think I, I think I said this on a really recent podcast I'm not going to go into it in too much detail but we do get these dopamine and four sensory cues that our body learns that last time we had that donut we got this hit this reward hit um and so we when we see a donut we smell a donut we picture a donut we think of a donut we start to get this anticipatory reward response in our brain, which drives us to then want to eat that food again. So that's not an emotional drive for food. It's a physiological process. So so it, it does happen. It's not an addictive situation, but it we do for sure. And that's, that's one example of, of it. There are various kind of hormonal and endocrine kind of responses that we get into food, to certain foods that increase our drive to eat those foods again. And, we know that even with things like just ultra processed foods in general, when we're given ad libitum food intake with ultra processed foods, we tend to eat more of those. And it's probably in part to do with that reward pathway. And it's probably in part to do with the fact that they're often lower volume and lower fiber. So they're less satiating. So there are lots of physiological reasons why um, we crave food. And I think sometimes we have this like this um, tendency to pathologize these things like oh I'm craving it's just really hard for me or I'm craving it must be hormones or I'm craving because I'm addicted to this food and it's like it's not it's a natural physiological response just like hunger just like reading a pee all of these things and it's just about recognizing saying oh that, that's interesting whenever I go into Sainsbury's it's always Sainsbury's and I smell the croissant I'm like I need a pan of raisin like I need it and it but I think it's about taking your step out and going okay, well, do I need it? I actually don't. I really, really want it. And maybe someday they'll have it. And maybe sometimes it doesn't align with the fact that I've all I've eaten for the last 24 hours is beige foods. And so actually I'm going to go in and get my food like I planned to do in the first place. So again, it's just about noticing these things and then saying, okay, well, I can make a choice according to what I actually want. My cravings are not the driver for me. My choices, I can be mindful of my choices, even though I experience these cravings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oops. Last question, nice question, or client's question. How do you respond when you have a partner that is also a coach, but is now making conscious decisions of what they're eating to put themselves in a calorie deficit? I've been working on not looking at food as calories, and he mentioned how many calories were in our lunch. And because I haven't thought about calories in a few days, I felt uneasy. How would you communicate this with a partner? I think well I don't know your relationship with your partner but I think um you know communication is going to be really important here and having like a chat about I don't want to say the buzzword boundaries but <laughs> but chatting to your partner about the journey you're on at the minute and the journey they're on it sounds like they're probably going to be quite different one's in a calorie 
uh, calorie deficit and maybe you're not in a calorie deficit with deny or maybe I'm not sure but and maybe chatting about that like you want to support their goals I'm sure they want to support your goals but you can do that with like maybe talking about the ins and outs of what you're eating and the ins and outs of how many calories are in, are in your food um, because you don't need to know how many calories are in your lunch so you don't um, and especially if it's going to trigger an urge for you maybe to restrict or an urge to to binge it's not going to be overall helpful and hopefully you feel comfortable enough to chat about that with with your partner and explain and maybe as well so they can get an understanding because you're on different journeys explaining why you find that triggering as well and why maybe it's not helpful for you at the minute but be mindful of your language when you're doing it so you know still emphasizing that you're supporting them and that maybe they're able to be in a place where they can do a calorie deficit and it doesn't affect them. It doesn't have any consequences and that's brilliant for them, but just recognizing maybe you're not on the same level. Yeah, I, com I completely agree. I think you're so right about like the way you approach it and not in a way that you're attacking them for what they're doing or that they've done something wrong by talking about it because they don't know that they've done something that, that that's triggering for you. So, but what's amazing is that it's a great opportunity for you to, like challenge your communication skills with your partner um which is always like we can always work on those no matter what position that we're in and um, so great opportunity and if it's at the start of their diet like this is something that's going to come up repeatedly so like saying okay well things that maybe I would love not to talk about would be calories or your scale weight um or how much weight like how much weight you're losing or, and I wouldn't like to take, I don't know if they're working, I don't know if they're a coach, so maybe they take progress pictures and stuff like that. I don't want to take your progress pictures. And I'd, I'd love, like, I'm happy for you to discuss, like, how you're feeling. And, you know, and and, and maybe you are in a place where you can say, so, like, congratulate their progress. Because, you know, like, thing is, you can congratulate, but I can see how hard you're working on this. I can see how hard you're training. And I can see, like, that you're saying no to, like, eating out all the time and things like that. And I, like, I think that's amazing. But rather than saying you like congratulating consistently on their weight loss and again it's a really great challenge for you to think of non-body compliments while someone's trying to achieve their goals can you can you support that person by not saying oh my gosh you've lost so much weight oh my gosh like you're getting so lean and shredded you're looking amazing can you support them in other ways like oh my gosh like again fair play for getting up at 6am and going to the gym like if that works with your goals like other like more process-based compliments and non-appearance based compliments Mm -hmm. and I guess as well kind of off the back of what Roz was saying in like this isn't helpful but combining it with perhaps what you're working on with deny in can we talk about kind of the enjoyment we both experienced from the lunch together and what was the most like favorite part or the nourishing part of that meal um and if you are finding yourself kind of beginning to ruminate on calories again catching yourself and again bringing yourself back to okay well what was what was my favorite meal that day or how did I feel after eating it rather than um sitting and, and worrying about the calories if you're finding it triggering later on as well mm, agree okay fabulous thanks everyone for the great questions thank you both so much thank you thanks. bye bye Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.